every one of us that are gathered here today would know that. And know it more than just as a, a fact that you could write down on a piece of paper. But that you know it is a matter of your experience. That when you walk out of here, someone would ask you, what did you do today? You'd say, I met with the living God. We really do have a great God. And our scripture reading today comes from the book of the Revelation. We're making our way through it. Simply one verse this day out of chapter 3. And you can turn there in your Bibles uh, now or in a little bit. We're going to be looking at uh, another passage in Revelation in chapter 2. And we read these words. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says. To the churches. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Would you pray with me, please? Father, um, we really glad to be here today. We're glad to be able to come to this building in comfort and safety. We're glad to see our friends. We're glad to be in Sunday school. We're glad to have an opportunity to worship. And, and then, Lord, to hear that beautiful um, song we just listened to. But most of all, we're glad because we know that you're here. And we have promises in your word, Lord, that assure us that you will never leave us, you will never forsake us, and that the good work that you have begun in us, you will carry it on, you will keep on doing it all the way until the day when your son returns. And so we come here today expectant, Lord, in faith, not in presumption, seeking to hear from you. And so we ask, Lord, speak. And we have an ears, Lord, so help us to hear. And help us to embrace your word. Teach us how to yield ourselves to you and to put it into practice in our lives. And Lord, again, for me, I just pray that you take what I have here because I know, Lord, no matter how much or how little it might seem in my sight, I know that left to me, it's not enough. Like a little boy's lunch among thousands of people, it's not enough. But if you take it and you multiply it and then you make it not just enough but more than enough. And that's our prayer. That's my prayer here this morning. And we ask all that we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our wonderful Lord and Savior. Amen. So uh, Ann and I were dating um, from our children's perspective uh, back in the prehistoric times. <laughs> Ann 
and I picked her up at her house early one morning, and we were going to the beach. Anne had packed us a lunch, and on the way, she reached into the cooler, and she pulled out a carrot. And I thought, well, maybe she had a rabbit in there, but uh, no, the carrot was actually for me, and so I ate it. And after a little bit, I reached into the cooler myself, and I pulled out a carrot, and I handed it to her, and she took it and began eating it. And then I said to her, um, I said, I spilled up, Doc, on my pants yesterday. And that's right. She actually did it. She actually said, while eating a carrot, what's up, Doc? To which I naturally responded, who do you think you are, Bugs Bunny? Not to tell you, I rarely have had something like that work out so good, and I rarely catch her in those things uh, like that anymore. She just knows me too well. In fact, it really is kind of scary um, sometimes just how well she knows me. Last night, I walked into the kitchen to take some medicine, and, and I turned around, and, and there she was. And I, I'm not sure about this, but I, I think that she came in because she suspected that I was going to raid the cabinets uh, which I was, <laughs> but I did because I realized with her in the room, I really didn't want to eat anything anyway, and so I didn't. You know, she really does know me pretty well. And we know our kids too, don't we? Even when they're teenagers, we know them. And because we know them, we could, we could help them if only they'd listen to us. So when they were young, they did, right? But uh, they certain reach a certain age, and they begin to... Uh, well, tend to grow deaf, at, at least to us, that is. They listen to almost anyone else because I think in their eyes their parents are kind of uh, absurd creatures. They might like other people's parents, but not their own so much. And yet no one else, no one else knows them as well as we do. No one else loves them as much as we do. And we really could be a great help to them if they just would realize it. You know, there's truth in there for us. When someone knows us and loves us, we would we'd do well to pay attention to what they have to say, to listen to their fa- uh, thoughts and advice. And certainly when it comes to spouses and parents and friends and others, they don't know everything. And even the things that they do know is in some ways tainted by their own sinful nature. So their insight is limited. But none of that is true about God. He's complete and perfect, and he knows us completely and perfectly, and he loves us unconditionally, and and we ought to pay attention when he speaks. And those things he does say to us really transcend mere advice. They really are on the order of a command, but a command that's given for our good. Which really brings us to our text today. John had a vision we looked at last week. uh, And that vision that we looked at last week really didn't end where we stopped. Chapters 2 and 3, when you look at them in the uh, book of the Revelation, in comparison to the rest of the book, seem fairly normal. They consist of seven letters to seven churches. And and those letters follow pretty much the normal format of that day. And as such, they're easier for us to understand and interpret. 
And yet, as ordinary as they seem, allowing for the normal differences between John's culture and our, uh, our culture, um, they still are part of that vision that John had. Jesus, or rather the vision of Jesus, uh, simply dictates the letters to John, and he writes them down and later sends, along with the rest of the record, uh, those letters to the churches. And that very act, that writing down of what Jesus says, tells us something about those letters which confirms one of the things that we looked at last week, that God communicates his truth to his church and, and that he has a message for his people, which normally is delivered uh, through the pastor, the messenger of the church. Of course, in this case, when we look at these letters, it's the word of God. It has been recorded in his holy book, and it's for all people, for all times, and for all places. Whereas when I speak on a Sunday, or other pastors speak on a Sunday morning, uh, it's more properly understood as a particular message to a particular people at a particular place and a particular time. And it certainly does not rise to the level of Scripture. And yet still God speaks through his pastor. Still in some way, in spite of all of our flaws and all of our failures, God manages to use us to communicate to his people as we proclaim the word of God just as we see happening here. Now, this communication from God to his churches is one of the general observations that can be made about those seven letters. And so what we're going to do this morning, and maybe we'll do it another day too, is we're going to look at a few other things that, that are common to each one of the letters. And, and we're going to do so as a kind of an introduction to the letters themselves. And in subsequent times together, we'll look at each of the letters individually and see what they say. And so when we turn to those letters themselves, if you were to sit down sometime and, and you were simply to read through them, and for the time being, um, allow the symbols... Uh, which you meet as you read through them, to kind of sit off to the side, so to speak, uh, not trying to interpret them and see how they fit in. If you were simply to sit down and read through them, the, the first impression these writings would make on you is that Jesus knows each church intimately. He knows his church, each and every one of them, Intimately, That's the first thing that you would realize. And then, as you thought about it a little bit, you would know that he knows them, broadly speaking, from two different perspectives, if we can say it that way. First way in which he knows his church is by their deeds. And so in verse 2 of chapter uh, 2, we um, read these words. Jesus is speaking, I know your deeds, and he further explains that by saying your hard work and your perseverance. So he makes that same statement uh, about knowing their deeds to five of the seven churches, and it's clear from other things that he says that he knows the deeds of the other two as well, and, and the deeds that are mentioned on each of those churches are different for each one of them, but he knows them. And so our first thing that we observe here, and broadly speaking, he knows his churches intimately, and he knows them 
by their deeds. And you know, my friends, that's how other people first get to know us too, isn't it? I mean, it's by the things we do. And someone comes here, right? And we greet them and we try to make them feel welcome. We try to show them Jesus' love. We try to love them ourselves. And and that greeting and that welcoming, they're deeds. They're something that we do. And we hope they express our hearts, but they are something we do. Now, you know my testimony about when I first came to this church. I love to tell it, though, and so I'm going to tell it again. Ann and I were going to another church, and a good church, never quite felt connected. And I was feeling guilty, like it's time to join this church and get busy and do something. And, and I said to her one night, I said, before we actually join this church, I want to go visit Y Bible Group. We'd heard about it. And so she said, okay. And we walked in here that first Sunday, and we knew that we'd come home and we'd never left. And we don't want to go anywhere else. And the reason is, is because of the things that people did when we came in. Now, there's more to it. There's a sense of scare, but those things we did. Ginger grabbed a hold of us and hugged us. I mean, what a hug. Brian Burnell was standing right out there, and he welcomed us. And I could name person after person who just made us feel like we were special and we belonged there. And, you know, many of you say the same thing. You, you've tasted that. You know that, too. And, um, and, and the deeds, as small as they might seem, that kind of welcoming thing really does speak to other people. I know many of you are here told uh, us, and uh, uh, we know it because you have told us this, that you, you found us on the web, right? <laughs> and, and that's really becoming more and more common, you know. Which, by the way, um, really reminds me of just how great a need that we have for someone who knows such things, the web or, or computers in general, who can take that as a kind of ministry because it's becoming more and more important. You know, Pastor Jim and, and Laura, our secretary, they do the best they can. Uh, they really are heroic in their attempts to keep it up, but they have too many other things to do. And, and I think there's somebody here. It doesn't have to be somebody whose job it is in computers. But God's got somebody in this church who can do that ministry. And they need to see it as a ministry. But, but in any case, many of you found us church uh, through the web. And so you looked at the different ministries that were going on. You saw the Awana. You saw the Children's Church. You knew about Little Lamb Preschool. You see things about the ministry. And those things, those deeds... Well, they attracted you here, and then you came, and you felt God's presence among his people, and you stayed. And we really are glad that you did. Now, now we know, right, the deeds don't save us. There isn't anything you can do to earn your way into heaven. Not, not a thing. It, it's only by putting your faith in the living God. And people who try to earn their way in the heaven, they, they effectively cut themselves off from God's grace because God's saying, I'm just going to save you if you let me do it, right? And, um, and he will. But they're too busy working. But having said that, we haven't said enough about works and deeds because saving faith means you're going to act. If Christ has really come into your heart, 
if he's really entered your heart, something has to change, something in the way you live, and it's going to come out. Now, of course, we're sinners, and so we can begin quenching the Spirit and grieving the Spirit. And, and pretty long, pretty soon, if we're not careful, our own sinful nature begins to show its own acts, its own deeds. But saving faith, a faith that's active and alive, is going to show itself in the way that we live and the things we do. So the things we do are important, and they're important to our Lord for two reasons. First, it's because we represent him to the world. I mean, specifically, first off, to our community, but farther than that even. And, and, and it's through those deeds that we reach other people. And secondly, those things are important to him because those things shape each one of us. They mold our heart and our character. So people do see the things we do. God sees them completely. He, he sees them as they really are, and his evaluation is always right. And as he goes through these letters, and we go through these letters, we see those different things that God mentions, and he talks to us about them. But God also knows us in, in another way. Uh, he, he knows what's in our heart. He, he knows not just the things that we do, but he knows why we do them and what we think. So we read things like we see in the middle of verse 2, chapter 2. It says, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. And that really speaks about what's inside their heart. Uh, it's not something you could see necessarily without knowing like God does. It sees into their heart and knows. And, of course, it does come out in their action. He goes on to say, you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. So they couldn't tolerate two wicked people. So when someone came to them claiming to be a preacher of the gospel, they tested them and exposed the liars. And so we see that action coming out, and yet God saw their heart. He understood what was inside of them. They could not tolerate wicked people. And what we believe in our hearts always comes out in the things we do. But it's not always easy for us to see. And in the case of, of this church in Ephesus, if we'd have looked at them, if we'd have been there in that day, if we had have attended that church service, we would have thought it looked pretty good, at least on the outside. You know what? They would have had a nice website. But, uh, but it was all on the outside. And so God saw their heart. And he said what he did to them in verse 4. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. He saw the heart. It's good on the outside, but not inside. And more than that, I have to tell you, not only does he, he know our hearts, he, he knows us better than we know ourselves. In the last letter in chapter 3, uh, the last letter that's written, the seventh one, in to the Laodicean church, God says uh, this, You say, I am rich, I've acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. And that's what those people in that church thought about themselves. But God knew better, and so he goes on to tell them, But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, 
and naked. You see, they were blind to their real condition, but God saw it clearly, and he told them what they needed to hear. So if there's something that we need to correct, he speaks to us. Then he encourages about the good things, if there are any, by pointing those out to us also. And so we see this pattern represented uh, here, repeated over and over again in these letters. Jesus knew both the deeds, which others can see also, even if they don't always quite see them as they really are. But he also knows their heart, which we maybe know a little bit by the things that people do. But he knows it completely, and he knows it better than we know our own selves. And he speaks to his people about the things they need to hear, both the good things and the bad. And that's a good general, uh, you know, introduction to the letter so far. There's one more thing that I, I want to make clear, if I can, before we look at how this truth maybe would apply to us here in this church. Not easy to maybe communicate what I'm trying to get to here, but Jesus is addressing the churches. And he does so through the pastors. And and, and while it might not be the best, best way for me to put it, for shorthand, we're, we're going to say something like this. We're going to say that every church has a personality. Or maybe better, we could say every church has an identity. And, and that identity or that personality is either approaching or it's receding from what every church ought really to be. Just as every man and woman and child is either becoming more or less like Christ. And, and Jesus speaks to that when we gather as a church. He speaks to us. He speaks to move us from the place that we are now to the place that we need to be. But, you know, churches uh, are made up of individuals, right? I mean, I mean, it, it, it's not just this conglomerate that never separates. We're individuals, and that's what a church is made up of. And so when he talks to the church, he's also, in one way or another, he's also talking to each person in the congregation. You see, the reality is when we gather uh, as the church, we are coming to something that is it's bigger than we are, and it's like nothing else that we know. The church is not a club. It's not an organization. It's not a corporation. It's so less as it's just a building. It's the body of Christ. It's a living organism. And scripture puts it another way in Peter. Uh, I'm going to paraphrase that. We are being built together. You and me, every one of us here, we are being built together in a, in a spiritual house where God can dwell in his spirit. All of us together are being built in that way. And when we come here, we really are getting more than we expect. See, God isn't just telling us individually how to be a better person. I mean, he does do that, right? But he also tells us how to be the church. He tells us how to be that lampstand. You remember we said the purpose of the lampstand was that the light of that church would fall on Christ and reveal him to the world. He's teaching us how to become the church so Christ can be revealed to the world through us. We become more of what we ought to be ourselves when our church is becoming more of what God wants it to be. And our church becomes more of what it should be as 
we're growing in our faith. So what does that mean? Well, well, it means that when you come here and you hear God's word, that word applies to this church, but it also applies to you. So if if the message seems to be speaking more directly uh, uh, to an individual than to the church, what you do with it affects the rest of us. If you think he's talking to me or he's talking to other people here directly, still we're responsible and what we do with it affects everyone else. And, And if it seems to be addressing the church, more than an individual, then it then it's still speaking to you, and you need to respond for your own sake and for the sake of the church. So I want to give you an example of what I mean. If I were to say you that to you that our church really needs to drastically improve our Sunday school, what would your response be? I know many people would think uh, something like this. Well, I wonder what the elders are going to do. And the truth is the elders and the deacons too have a responsibility here, but so do you. (laughs) So when you hear something like that, uh, you ought to ask yourself a question like this. Uh, Does that mean I ought to start coming to Sunday school myself? Or if you're already coming, does it mean that I need to learn how to contribute and to add to the class? Does that mean I ought to make sure my children are there every Sunday? You know, I think uh, I think that we ought to know the answer to both of those things. And I have to tell you, right now, it's really not possible for all of you to come here for Sunday school, and the reasons for that will present themselves if you think about it. I mean, there's no nursery if you had more children. What would you do with the kids? There's no room for the classes even if we had teachers for them? And if things were different, I think the answer is obvious. Maybe there are other circumstances which might lead you to do something else but other than come to Sunday school on Sunday morning, but that's the obvious answer. There ought to be another. But also, you might ask questions like this. Does that mean that I ought to think about teaching a class? Or maybe if I don't teach, maybe I need to help out in some other way, like a, like serving in the extended nursery so that classes can happen for other people. Or uh, maybe I'll make coffee or, or something else or be the class secretary. Or maybe if your gifts are there at matter, you might be asking yourself, maybe you ought to be the director of the whole thing so that the pastors can do what they're called to do. You know, that's how we ought to respond when we hear something. Now, let me tell you, as your pastor, I am saying that. This is not just an illustration. We do need to drastically improve our Sunday school. What we're doing, unless you know, what we're doing is really good. It's much better. I appreciate so much those who are teaching that small group of young people on Sunday morning. I appreciate what we can do here in the sanctuary for the adults. Jim has Sunday school for his kids. It's just that it's not quite enough. You know, many churches all over the nation are doing away with Sunday school, and and they're doing it because attendance in Sunday school seems to be declining. Well, that's an indication of the health of the church, not how important Sunday school is. 
a lot of times they use it, this as a reason. We have home groups instead, or small groups, or whatever you want to call it. And those things are good, important. I mean, they are vital. Pastor Jim, that's his heart. He's working to improve and to work with our small group ministry. But it doesn't take the place of Sunday school. What it would take the place of is what we would call the midweek service. Where else can you go and learn the Bible in depth? doesn't happen in home groups. You might be a part of a Bible study yourself, but what about other people around the church? People come here on Sunday. If you get them here for church, you won't get them here for Sunday school. But you need to be able to read the Bible. Now that position right there, that's not just for Awana. God has a plan for this church, and I believe it includes Sunday school. I'm going to tell you something. I'm, uh, I'm going to try to help you understand preaching and teaching, right? If I stand up here on a Sunday morning, I'm, I'm doing what we call preaching, right? <laughs> and, and that's a kind of a one-way communication, and, and, the, and the goal of preaching is to target the heart. It doesn't mean that you're not informed because hopefully you learn things. But it's to target the heart so that people will change. Sunday school is a little different. The idea there is to see people change, but it's, it's a different avenue. We, we teach them things. And then those things that they learn eventually make their way into their heart and out into their lives. But you know, Good preaching needs that good teaching. We build on it. It's a foundation. And if the pastor doesn't have it, he struggles all the time trying to help his people to grow and become what they need to be. And teaching, if it has some good preaching, just encourages people, helps them, helps them to grow and understand. So I, uh, I'm going to ask that you do a couple things. I'd ask that you pray for our Sunday school ministry. Whatever changes may need to happen here, pray that maybe you would uh, see if there's a way that you can teach or serve yourself. Pray for that addition to get completed. Because I really think we need to do that here. And, and I know. I know some of you have other obligations or you get your Bible study and learning somehow. But if you're not getting it, then I would encourage you to be a part of our Sunday school. And those of you who can start now, don't wait. Come and join us. Go.
Father, thank you that you uh, really do know us inside and out. You know the things we do, and you know what's in our hearts. Thank you that you're faithful, and you, you expose those things that we do, both good and bad, and you expose our hearts uh, to your own searching spirit and then to us, to ourselves, that we might make the changes we need to in our lives. And, Lord, when we get challenged in one way or another, I just pray that we would yield ourselves to you and seek you above everything else. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So now we come to the time in the life of the church where we observe the Lord's Supper. And uh, for, uh, for those of you who um, maybe are new here today, I want you to know that as long as you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, whether you're a member of this church or not, you're welcome to join us in this meal. Now, this goes for everybody, whether you are a believer um, that belongs to this church or new here. If you are a believer and you have unconfessed sin in your life or an animosity between you and another Christian that you haven't tried to deal with, uh, you have to let the bread and cup pass you by. Nobody's going to tell me. No one will draw attention to it. It really is an honorable decision. And if you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and if you're sitting there saying, I don't know what he means by that, then I can tell you, you probably don't know what he means by it. And you too need to let the bread and cup pass you by. No one will draw attention to it unless they know you've done that. It really is an honorable decision. Otherwise, we are inviting you to eat and drink with us. The custom is to serve the bread until all are served and we eat together and then we do likewise with the cup. So I'm going to ask the men that have agreed to help me this morning to come forward. Corinthians tells us that before we come to this table that we need to examine ourselves. There's really a kind of a step that's implied in that that we learn uh, from other places in the Scripture. 